is. Because we have so many people here, I just want to make sure the mic is on so everyone can hear me. I like that there's, I like that we're just, we're a little, a little close-knit, but I like that everyone's still sat in their assigned seats, like where you normally sit. That just makes me happy because we don't want to mess with that or anything. Um, thanks for coming. For those of you here, thank you very much for making it out and canoeing your way here. Yeah, it's really awesome for everybody at home. Smart. Smart. I got it. That's cool. But we're here. God is good. Our God is the one who gives the rain. And uh, I'm a dad, so I'm supposed to say, yep, we needed it. The plants needed it, right? That's like a dad thing. So uh, a couple of announcements for us as we get going. Here Think Do groups still happening. All the resources are online in the back. You can grab that stuff. If you have questions about those groups, uh, please let me know. I'd be happy to get you plugged in on those. Prayer for Roscoe Village, we got people going out. We're starting to cover that section two. We got people going out. We had people going out this past week. Um, so section two is starting to get filled up. If you're interested in getting plugged in and, and connecting on that when things dry out, or if you did bring your kayak and you want to just paddle your way and go and pray for some people today, you can do that. Door hangers are in the back. You grab some. Let me know what street you're covering. And then we're praying for every house, every neighbor. Uh, this is something we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep going until we pray for all of Roscoe Village. So this is something that's going to take us a while, and that's okay. We're going to continue to stay faithful to that. Um, September 24th is our first prayer and potluck for a long, long time. If you are uh, have just joined us in the last, I don't know, year or so, this is something that we do pretty regularly, or at least we used to. And I'd like to get us back to doing this pretty regularly, where we gather together. We share some food, we eat together, we spend some time together, and then we pray. We pray for each other, we pray for our city, we pray for our world. Uh, we spend time in prayer together. So that's going to be on Saturday, September 24th. Um, that's going to be at 5.30, so we can do something a little earlier so we can all get home to bedtimes and kids and all those things. So families, you're definitely invited to be there for that. If you would like to contribute, um, if in the last couple of years you have been just working on a killer casserole recipe, and today, is this, this month is the month you want to unleash it on the world, I got an opportunity for you. So uh, you can email us, uh, PastorTimCF at gmail.com. Let me know if you would like to contribute a dish to help us out with, um, with potluck and prayer. So that's going to be on the 24th. And then uh, the next week, October 2nd, we have a membership class after church. If you are not a member of CF but you would like to be, or you're just interested in knowing more about who we are, our history, what we believe, what it looks like to be a member, what, is that, what does that mean? Uh, we'd love to have you stick around after church on the 2nd. Lunch will be provided, so um, please let me know ahead of time, RSVP. Uh, again, you can email me, PastorTimCF at gmail.com, so that we can uh, get so have the place for you for food and for handouts and all that stuff. So October 2nd is a membership class um, after church. So I think that is it for my announcements. We're going to jump into Acts 14 this morning, Acts 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up Acts 14. And if you don't have one with you, um, or it just got waterlogged on the way here, there's one in a seat back around you. Uh, and there should be a bookmark there that'll take you right to the book of Acts. And while you're turning there, I would like to thank our Grace Place volunteers. They show up week after week to love and care and teach the kids of this church and to teach them about who God is and how much he loves them and why it's important to know him and they teach them what it looks like to be part of a community and be part of uh, part of a group and to care for one another and to pray for one another. It is a, a beautiful, wonderful, important thing that they are doing upstairs. And they do it every week. And we have a lot of volunteers for that ministry, but we can always, always, always need more because we are always, always looking for more people to add. And because uh, God has been gifting us and blessing us with more and more kids. And so that's great. And because of that, we need more and more adults and more and more supervision up there. So if you are interested in our Grace Place ministry, thank you to everyone who already does it. If you are interested in that ministry, please let us know. You can use a connect card. You can uh, do it online if you're online and let us know. We'd love to get you connected. Now, with that ministry, there is some extra training. There's some background checks, things like that um, to make sure that we're keeping everybody safe. But uh, we'd love to, if you're interested at all in just getting some more information, what does it mean to be part of Grace Place? Um, let us know and we'd love to get you connected to that ministry. So I'm going to pray and then, let's, uh, and then we'll jump into Acts 14. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the rain. We thank you um, that you're the God who provides and the God who is in control of all things at all times. God, we pray for those who are 
on the roads right now or those who are greatly affected by weather like this, um, that you are providing safety and protection and provision. God, we pray for the kids of Grace Place, the kids of our church. Um, Lord, we thank you for the volunteers that are part of that ministry, and we pray this morning that they are reminded once again about how important and how vital and how great of an, a responsibility it is you have called them to serve in that ministry. And Lord, we pray for the kids of Grace Place that you would continue to reveal yourself to them and show them and teach them who you are. Reveal how much you, you love them, you are for them. Lord, I pray that the kids of this church and the kids, God, that they would know you at an early age, that they would walk with you for many, many, many days. God, we pray for uh, New Life Community Church in, in West Lakeview and Pastor Chad and, and their community as you continue to raise up leaders, continue to raise up people to serve and care for that place. And we thank you for the many years of faithful ministry in our neighborhood that, that New Life has had. Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless that community, continue to strengthen them, um, and continue as they reach out to our neighborhood to uh, be a safe place of welcome, of welcome and care those in West Lakeview. Lord, I pray for us, for CF, as you continue to strengthen us and bind us together and unite us, that you would continue to help us build relationships with one another, ones that go deeper than the surface, ones that uh, go to the things that matter, that we might be able to hold one another up and hold one another accountable and, and walk with each other through the good and the hard. Um, God, we thank you for this place and this church and this community that you have built we pray that we would continue to be faithful to it, love and serve uh, as we follow you. God, as we open your word this morning, you have something for us today. You have an encouragement. You have a word to strengthen us. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us this morning. Let uh, the distractions, let the stresses, let however our mornings, however our weeks have gone, let those things be set aside as we open your word and we listen and hear what you have for us today. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. For many of us, we have experienced many, many times over, hundreds of times even, uh, the same kind of story play out where there is some kind of evil, some kind of evil czar, leader, person, who takes control, who takes over and needs to be defeated, has brought evil and wickedness to the area, and there needs to be some kind of strength, some kind of resolve. And so some kind of hero rises up, oftentimes an unlikely one, and they go on a quest to defeat this evil, evil leader. And along the way, they run into many nameless, foot, nameless faceless foot soldiers, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands, and have to defeat every one of them. And uh, along the way, they even will face some other uh, enemies that were sent by that evil head leader. Bigger, stronger ones with names and special powers that the, the hero has to try and defeat. And as they go on this quest, as they go on this journey, they collect things. They learn different tools. They learn different tricks. They learn different abilities to be able to defeat that final evil leader. And like I said, they collect things along the way, whether they be gems or rings or diamonds, whatever it might be. Some of them to help them as they quest. Some of them, I think, they just like shiny things. But over and over again, they battle and they fight. They struggle. They're looking everywhere. They're, they're going left. They're going right. They're going, they're going left, left and right and up, up, down, down. They go to plan B, they go to plan A, they, they try and start this important quest and find themselves at an impasse. They find themselves at a hard spot. They find themselves at a chasm that they can't quite cross no matter how many times they try it. And if you, like me, have faced that battle more and more times, eventually the hero falls into that chasm, seemingly an endless pit for the last time, for the last life, and you are then faced with the ultimate question. It's a simple question, but it's usually got a clock on it, and it's just one word. Continue? Do you continue? Over and over again, we, we play games, we, we read stories, we, we do things in which we see 
trial after trial, and eventually the hero fails, and there's this chance, this opportunity, this moment where they have to decide, do I continue? Do I keep going? Do I keep trying? Do I keep working at it, or do I just give up? When it's hard, when it's messy, when it's boring or exhausting, do I continue, or do I just give up? Continue. That's the word of the day. That's the word of chapter 14 of the book of Acts. We're going to see over and over again this idea of continue. We're going to pick it up in verse, four, in verse 1 of chapter 14. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And they continued to preach the gospel. Let's stop there for now. They continued preaching. It's our first continue. They continued preaching, and as they continued preaching, there was continued opposition. Paul and Barnabas are in Iconium. Remember, they left Antioch. They left and had to flee that area. And so now they are in Iconium. And we have seen over and over throughout the book of Acts, and really throughout, the, throughout history, if you go beyond just the book of Acts, but into the Gospels, we see that the Gospel gets preached, right? Truth the reality that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died for our sins, rose again, displaying his absolute power and authority over all of creation, offering us forgiveness and new life, not only for eternity, but here and now. As that message, as the truth of the gospel gets preached, there is always opposition to it. The prophets preached it. Even though they didn't know they were preaching it, they preached of that coming Messiah and what happens to them. Every one of them gets killed. When the wise men told Herod the good news of great joy of this baby being born, he started killing all of the babies, trying to cut off at the pass the king of the Jews. Jesus lived and preached the gospel, stirred up the crowd so much that they hung him on a cross. The gospel has always had opposition to it. And so as Paul and Barnabas preach, there are some who hear it and accept it and believe it and receive the grace and new life and being welcomed into the family of God. But there are still those who don't believe. And they stir up others to hate Paul and Barnabas and their message. The Jewish leaders even stir up the Gentiles, not entirely sure how, like what it is, because we understand the Jewish leaders, they see the message of the gospel as an attack on the temple, as an attack on Judaism. For the Gentiles, I think they're just going along with the flow. But they are stirred up, they're convinced to hate Paul and Barnabas. And so what, how do they respond? How do Paul and Barnabas respond? We see it in verse 3. They remain there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. There's opposition, a clear and vocal opposition, and it did not drive the apostles away, but rather to stay put and continue preaching and continue performing miracles. We say often that when you are saved, when you become a Christian, you are saved from hell. You are saved from the wrath of God to be a blessing to others. The way that Paul and Barnabas were blessing others was through their faithfulness to preach and encourage and strengthen these new believers. Instead of running at the first sign of opposition, they respond, as we have seen others in the book of Acts respond, with boldness. In Acts 4, the believers faced threats from the government, and they prayed, Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The gospel is always going to bring with it not only those who accept it, yes, but those who oppose it. Jesus himself said in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. 
Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey the teaching of yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And so Paul and Barnabas stay put and they continue to preach. And God validates what they are saying by giving them the ability to perform miracles through their hands. All of this divides the whole city, divides the people. Some supported these Christians, some supported the gospel, and some the Jews. And eventually, those against Paul and Barnabas got the idea, let's kill them. Let's end this, and let's just put them to death and kill these teachers of the gospel by stoning them. And it's at this point where Paul and Barnabas say, all right, it's time to go. And so they leave the city. It's not out of fear. It's not that they were afraid for their lives. It's rather that Paul and Barnabas knew there's still work to be done. Remember, they were sent out by the church in Antioch. They were sent out with a mission. They were sent out to go and preach and proclaim. And the Holy Spirit has been guiding them and leading them this whole time. And the Holy Spirit has not told them, hey, you're done. So really, this isn't about them being afraid of their lives. This is about saying, we still got work to do, so it's time to go. So they leave to Lystra and Derby and Lyconia and the surrounding country. All the while, they are preaching the gospel as they go along. We should have a map up here. So we saw this one last week. So we left off um, with the fellas in Paphos. They travel up into Perga, and they continue up into Antioch, Iconium, Derby, this general area. And then we're going to see by the end of the chapter, they're going to double back their way through all the way back to Antioch. Okay, so right now they have fled, and they are up in this general area. And that's where we're going to pick them up in a minute. I do think it's very interesting that as we read the book of Acts, it was the persecution of Paul in Acts 8 that led to the spread of the Gospels as the Christians left. Right, The Christians are all pretty much contained in Jerusalem. Paul, when he was, before he was saved, before he met Jesus, was attacking the church. And so the church, the Christians, all spread out. And they go into Judea and Samaria, and that's how the gospel goes forward, because they are running away from persecution. And now here, because Paul's life is being threatened, because he still has work to do, he's got to continue to travel, <clears throat> travel, excuse me, and he goes and he preaches and he spreads the gospel and churches are formed all along the way. See, it doesn't matter who or what the opposition is. The gospel is going to continue to be spread. It is going to continue to change lives. It is going to continue to change everything because that's what the gospel does. And so Paul and Barnabas continued to travel and they continued preaching. And as they did that, inevitably, there was continued opposition. And that leads us to our next set of continuations is that there's continued miracles that happen. And those miracles lead to continued misunderstandings. Along with the preaching of the word, it says that they had the outworking of power of the Holy Spirit on display through their hands. There are continued miracles happening by the works of Paul and Barnabas in verse 3, and there's an example of that power shown in verse 8. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there is a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance into the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowd. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with those words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. 
continued miracles continue to happen. A man crippled from birth is sitting, listening to Paul preach the gospel. This story, for those of us who have been studying Acts and walking through this, might take you back to Acts 3. I hope it does. Peter had a, a similar encounter with a man who had been crippled from birth, who was sitting near the temple gates in Jerusalem. Now, there was something about this man as he listened to Paul preach, something about his face or demeanor or through the gift of discernment by the Holy Spirit gave Paul this thought that this man was ready. Said he had faith to be made well. That faith that said this Jesus that Paul spoke of could move and change and do something that no doctor, no medicine had been able to do his whole life. See, it wasn't just that Paul sensed this man wanted to walk. That's obvious. He had never walked in his life. He wanted to walk. But Paul sensed that this man had faith that Jesus could make him walk. See, we all put our faith in something. We put our faith in people. We put our faith in institutions. Those of you here today, you sat down. You put your faith in those chairs, assuming they were going to hold you up. We use our faith all the time. The question wasn't, did this man have faith? The question was, what was his faith in? And somehow Paul knew this man's faith was in the healing coming from Jesus. This faith was proved when Paul tells the man, stand up. And he sprang up. He leapt up to his feet and immediately begins walking. Because again, as we've seen time and time again in the book of Acts, God heals. And God heals fully and completely out of his abundance he gives abundantly. People see this happen and they are overwhelmed. They have no place in their brains to process what they just saw other than to say, the gods have come down to us. Zeus and Hermes have joined us. That might seem like two random gods that they pulled out of thin air, but there was actually a superstition, a story, a legend in the city of Lystra that one time in the past, Zeus and Hermes had showed up, appearing as mortal men, that they had taken on the likeness of humans. They had come to the city. The whole city rejects them. No one shows them any hospitality. Nobody cares about them except this one older couple who takes them in and feeds them. And the gods are so angry that they wipe out and destroy the entire city except for that old couple. And so here now they see this miracle happen and that's why they respond so quickly and de declare this must be Zeus and Hermes. They're giving us another chance. They have come back. They didn't want to repeat what had happened. If the gods are here, then we must receive them with the respect and honor befitting them. And so the priest of the temple of Zeus came and wanted to do sacrifices and make a big spectacle of honoring them. And once again, we see, much like in Acts 3, there are continued miracles happening and a continued misunderstanding that, they come, that comes from that. Once Paul and Barnabas get a handle of what's happening and what's going down, they want to shut all of this down real quick. In verse 15, they said, why are you doing these things? We are men just like you. It's a very similar response to what Peter had in Acts 3, and then again what Peter had when he meets Cornelius in Acts 11, and Cornelius is worshiping at his feet. Peter, over and over again, takes the attention, takes the adoration, and says, no, this isn't about me, this is about Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas say the same thing. We aren't gods, we aren't spirits. We're men just like you. But we're men with a message. A message you mean to hear. A message that is good news. Paul and Barnabas take the opportunity to point these people to the gospel. And again, this is an example of Paul being very intentional with his words, depending on who he is speaking to. We've seen him teach in the synagogues. And when Paul preaches in the synagogues, he's quoting the prophets. He's quoting the Psalms. Because the people who are listening in the synagogues would understand. And more than that, they would value what he was referencing. But doing that in this setting wouldn't mean anything to these people because they don't know the Torah. They don't know the scriptures. They have no place there. And so in verse 15, Paul says, look, we have a message for you. And he sets this message apart by saying, look, we bring you good news. What we have to share with you is good. It is joyful. It is life-giving. It is life-changing. I think for some of us, I think sometimes we forget that. Because either we've heard about other people or, or we ourselves have had maybe a hard experience or bad experience sharing our faith or even by just looking at the world and, and the way the world talks about Christians and our message it can creep into our minds and subconscious that the gospel is this like ultimate situation breaker it's this ultimate killer that if I bring up Jesus this relationship this friendship is just it's going to go right down the tubes 
we bring up Jesus or the cross or church, the whole relationship, the whole room is just going to fall apart. We'll be labeled as crazy people and, and be hated and, and ostracized. And very rarely is that the case. When you have the chance to have a conversation with someone, to have a relationship, and you bring up the church, very rarely are they going to respond in that way if you already have a relationship with them. We need to remember that we have a message of good news of great joy for all people. A message of grace and mercy and redemption and hope. That's what the gospel is. Remember that as you encounter opportunities to share what you know, that the message you have is not one of hate and, and division. It is one of love and joy and bringing people back to a relationship with God. Paul tells these Crowds, look, the false gods, the mythology that you follow, it's vain, it's empty, it's without power, it's without strength. But the message that I have and the living God that I serve, that's something totally different than what you guys believe. Jesus is not to be thrown in with Zeus and Hermes or Buddha or Muhammad or any other spiritual man-made force or notion. He is set apart, he is different, Christianity is different. They tell the people they have a message of good news that comes from the living God, the creator who gives the rains and the crops and the food. They speak to the things the people know. See, even these pagan people, even these Gentiles who have no idea of God of the Bible, as Paul and Barnabas would know him, they do have a concept of someone pressing play on all of existence, some kind of creator force. That made sense to them. And, and so what Paul was saying is, look, the, this gospel message, this good news that I bring, it comes from the creator who has shown himself in what we call common revelation. The ways that God reveals himself to everyone in all of the world. The existence of creation itself, the diverse, intricate uniqueness of creation, all of that reveals the intentional design of God and his character. And this intentional creator didn't just stop with creation. He didn't just get this big ball of water spinning and then walk away and say, all right, I hope they figure it out. But rather, he is intimately involved in all of existence still today. As Paul says in giving rains and producing food from the ground, it is the Lord who allows those things to happen. He's given them tangible examples, things they can relate to. These things spoke to the people. They comprehended what Paul and Barnabas had to say. You see the difference between Paul in the synagogue and Paul on the street talking to the pagans. He, this is why later on when Paul can say, I was a Jew to the Jews and a Gentile to the Gentiles, he understood in different situations you've got to maybe change the message a little bit. It's not, the message, or it's not the message of the gospel, it's the mode, right? It's, the message remains the same. The, the truth of Jesus dying on the cross, paying for our sins, rising again, that stays the same. But the way you go about telling that message, telling that good news, might differ depending on where you are. And so with all of that, the people hear this message, and even still, even with Paul saying, we are not gods, please don't treat us like gods, instead turn toward the God, the living God. Even then, the crowd's still like, we still kind of want to worship you. You sound awesome and you did cool things. We still kind of want to worship you. But Paul and Barnabas are able to stop them from worshiping and trying to throw some kind of festival in their honor. Once again, we see in this situation, it's a follower of God willingly, actively choosing to use their platform, their opportunity, their relationship to point people to Jesus, to point people to the gospel. Even when the crowds wanted to worship and honor them as gods, they could have had anything they wanted, and Paul and Barnabas refused. It is a reflection of the mature Christian, firmly rooted and established and secured and content with God. The fear and love of man can be a deadly, overwhelming distraction and temptation if we are not careful. It would have been really easy for Paul and Barnabas to just put down roots in Lystra. Right, claim themselves to be these gods and live out their days feasting on the reputation of these mythical characters. They could have been catered and adored by catered to and adored by everyone and want for nothing. But this is what I mean about being established and content with God. Paul knew where his validation, where his identity, where his joy was found. 
In Philippians 3, he gives a long list of all the ways that he was set apart as a Jew, the the bloodline that he was from, the teaching he received, the the respect and honor he commanded of the Pharisees. He says all of these things in Philippians 3, and then he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul wasn't interested in the adulation of these crowds. He had bigger dreams. He had bigger goals. He had a bigger end line, end game in mind, and that was to meet Jesus face to face and spend eternity with him. The people in Lystra hear the words and saw the miracles, and they were blinded by superstition and mythology to see what was actually going on, what was actually in front of them. Because you see, as the gospel continues to go forward, there are continued miracles with the power of God on display and still continued misunderstandings about God and his people and what it is that the kingdom of God looks like here. And that brings us to our final continuation. Continued evil leading to continued faithfulness. Let's go to verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to the city he had, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they had passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. So at the end of chapter 13, where we looked at last week, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch in Pisidia. That is not the Antioch that's the Christian capital that we've talked about. There's like 16 Antiochs in the Roman Empire. Like Antioch was the name of one of the leaders. And so when he was conquering lands and expanding his rule, his dad's name was Antioch, so he just named a bunch of cities after his dad. And so there's like, like I said, like 16 of them. So sometimes it can get confusing. They're in a different Antioch. Paul and Barnabas were sent out from an Antioch, and then they get to another one, and in that one, they get threatened. And they had to leave. There were threats against their lives. And then in the beginning of this chapter, we see again they had to leave Iconium because they had to preserve the faith. So we have these two cities who hate Paul and Barnabas, and those enemies of the gospel really committed to this hate and rage as they apparently followed the apostles, growing the crowd along the way. They went on this massive road trip, we're going to go catch those Christians. And along the way, they, they, the crowd grew at different times. This, this is mob mentality at its worst. There's multiple days of travel. They had to take boats this is weeks of travel. How hard it must have been to keep that rage up, right? Like, you get into, you get really angry at a situation, and you could do or say or think something horrible. And then you kind of have some time, have some space, and you kind of settle down and, and, and get, you know, back to your normal way of thinking. These people held on to that hate and rage for weeks. And so the crowd finally show up, and they convince some other people in Lystra to join in on the hate. And I think the people in Lystra, maybe they were a little embarrassed or insulted that Paul and Barnabas had rejected their admiration, right? I mean, like, we were going to welcome you as gods, and you pushed us aside. Either way, they're clearly easily manipulated as a group in Lystra. And so the angry crowd finally gets its way. They capture Paul, they stone him, and drag him out of the city, assuming he was dead. Why would they assume he was dead? 
because they as a crowd took large pieces of stone, think cinder blocks, and beat Paul with them until he stopped moving. In Galatians 6, Paul talks about bearing on his body the marks of Jesus. And I think part, when he's writing that, I think this is part of what he was talking about, the scars and disfigurements that were left from this episode. But after the enemies dispersed, assuming they had won, assuming they had finally silenced this teacher of the gospel, the disciples go to check on their fallen friend. And I want to read verse 20 again. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Remember, Luke's a, a doctor. In different times, he's given us like intricate medical terminology for bones coming back into place. He's using his medical degree at different times writing acts. Here, the disciples go to get Paul. He gets up, goes back into the city, takes a nap, and then continues on. And by continues on, he walks to Derby. Paul just gets up and goes back into the city. He's been driven from Antioch and Iconium. They wanted him dead. He couldn't stay there, so he had to leave. It's as if he wants to make sure I'm leaving Lystra on my terms, not theirs. And so he goes, he gets himself together, and the next day he and Barnabas go to Derby and they preach some more. The gospel is continuing to go forward, continuing to change hearts and change minds and calls men and women into a relationship with after Derby, they double back and they start to go back to the cities that they'd already gone to. They go back to Lystra, they go back to Iconium, they go back to Antioch, even though they were run out of each of these towns and stoned by groups from those towns. What on earth? Why would they go back to those places after what happened? We see it in verse 22. So that they could be strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and, stay, and staying that through and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. They went back to these places. Paul put himself in a potentially dangerous, even life-threatening place so that those who heard the gospel and became Christians would be strengthened and encouraged. Paul knew that it was great to preach the gospel, to, get, to help be part of people hearing the truth and to know Christ, but he wanted to go beyond that. He wanted to see them strengthened and encouraged. He wanted them to know that they are going to need to persevere. They themselves were going to need to continue. See, the gospel is not a bait and switch. It's not a phony message of easy and comfort, right? Become a Christian and everything gets easier. Everything gets smoother. And then, you, okay, all right, I'm in. I'm a Christian. Ha-ha, we got you. Now you got to suffer tribulations. No, the Bible is very clear. Jesus himself said from the jump, if you want to follow me, cool, take up your cross, die to yourself, take up your execution plate, and come follow me. That's part of what it is, the upfrontness, the scripture is very clear with the upfrontness of what it looks like to follow God and the tribulations that come with it. We live in a broken, fallen world that is marred by sin. There is continued evil in our day and age, and the response of the Christian is to persevere and continue in our faithfulness faithful to the message that we know to be life-giving and life-bringing. Your endurance, your perseverance, your continuing is the sign of your salvation. The message of perseverance is littered throughout the New Testament. James 1, Romans 5, 2 Thessalonians 1, 2 Timothy 4, 1 Peter 5, all of them speak to the Christian saying, hold on, it's not easy, it's exhausting and overwhelming. Don't lose hope, don't lose faith. Don't lose sight of the end. Stay focused on Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Set your hearts and minds on Jesus, and you will endure. You will persevere. Paul doesn't just leave them with words of encouragement, though, but he leaves them with structure. Elders are appointed and prayed over. Some have already shown themselves apparently capable and mature enough to lead, and they were identified. Now, some might point that out that later on, Paul, in one of his letters to Timothy, specifically tells Timothy, do not put new Christians in charge. Do not make new Christians elders, right? Because they could get puffed up, they could get too full of themselves. But some of these people, some of these Christians that they just made elders have been Christians for like 20 minutes, a couple of weeks at most. So how could Paul and Barnabas feel comfortable with new believers like this leading these new churches? We see it in verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord 
in whom they had believed. The decisions and choices were made through prayer and fasting, a quieting and a listening to the Holy Spirit and a leading by the Holy Spirit. Along with that, it says they committed them to the Lord. Ultimately, Paul and Barnabas knew it wasn't their church. It wasn't whoever these young leaders were. It wasn't their church. It wasn't the people's church. It was Jesus' church. He was going to handle and care and love and lead these people through the work of these leaders chosen at this time. Paul and Barnabas make this a routine, and basically they go about tracing their steps to check in on those who had, they had met Christ, they had received the gospel. Paul and Barnabas left, they come back, they check on them, and they start to put some structure in place so they can have a church. They're strengthening them, they're teaching them. And even when they finally get back to Antioch, finally get back to where they had been sent out from, their strength, they're able to strengthen and encourage those believers in the church with stories of what had happened on the journey. How they were threatened and chased from town to town. How Paul almost died. But more important than any of that, they talk about how God had done miraculous work. How God had made it possible for Gentiles to hear the gospel. How God had used them to further his mission and call people to repentance. Though there was a continued evil in the world pursuing the gospel, trying to snuff out the gospel, evil that the believers experienced firsthand, Paul and Barnabas continued in their faithfulness and encouraged others to do the same. And that's my encouragement for us today. I haven't said it enough, so I'm going to say it one more time. Continue. Continue in what you know. Continue to hold fast, to endure, to persevere, to press on, to abide. These are phrases of the New Testament. And they are reoccurring themes throughout the New Testament as the church begins and grows. Why? It's always been the message of God to his people. The Israelites held on. They continued because they had the promise in the Messiah. They had the promise that one day this one was going to come who was going to go to war with Satan and defeat sin and restore things back, restore our relationship with God. And he does come in Jesus. And the church held on to the promise and still holds on to the promise today of Jesus' return. We hold on to that same promise that one day he's going to return to restore all things and to enter, usher in the kingdom of God fully and completely. We persevere, we continue, and we do so with a purpose. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, go therefore. In light of the authority and power of Jesus, he says, go, do. That word go is as you are going. As you are living, as you are moving, as you are working, as you are a student, as you are doing life, while doing that, make disciples. The purpose for the life that you are leading right now is to make disciples. God has you where you are in whatever situation, whatever season you are in, whatever job, whatever neighborhood, whatever apartment, whatever school, whatever building, whatever family, whatever friend group, you as a Christian are there to be making disciples in the space that God has granted to you. Because God has uniquely wired and created and made you and gifted you to be the presence of God among those people that God has placed you. You are in the place you are in, among the people you are around, for a purpose. Here's how this plays out. This is how it played out in my life. Growing up, I was on a competitive swim team. I have asthma. I've always been the cool kid on the playground. And so my parents knew that, asthma, that swimming could help train my lungs, right? Anaerobic? Anaerobic? Anaerobic. There it is. Anaerobic workout helped train my lungs to go without oxygen, to teach and strengthen them. And so over time, I'm swimming a lot, and my parents are stuck watching me swim a lot and just going back and forth. And the parents become friends, and you become families, and everybody, we travel together, and it just becomes a whole little community. And there was a family on that swim team who invited my parents, who told my parents, hey, there's this youth group at this church near the house you just moved into. We send our kids there. You should send your kids. It's really good for them. And they invited my family to church, and they invited us to go to this youth group. And my parents start sending me to that youth group. And at that place, I get mentored, and I get discipled, and I get taught about who Jesus is. I make friends there, 
who are lifelong friends. I meet my wife there. It gives me the opportunity to learn about who I am in Christ. It gives me the opportunity to, to, to try out the different gifts and talents that God has given me. They give me the freedom and the space to say, let's see what God is doing in you. Let's see about this call in your heart, this call that God has placed on you. Let's see what this looks like. This right here, me here at this place, doesn't happen without that family. That family saw swim practice, and they saw beyond swim practice, and they saw it to the kingdom. They saw it to eternity. That's what it looks like as you are going to make disciples, to be where you are, to take the situations, to take the opportunities you have, and to think beyond them to the kingdom, to the situation, to think beyond the situation you are in and finding a way to point people to Christ in that. Because every situation you are in is not happenstance or coincidence or accident or dumb luck. It is particularly designed by the God of all existence. Every interaction, every day at your job, every one of your kids' practices or performances, every Uber ride, every interaction with a barista, there is an internal significance to all of it. The Christian life is a lot of things. Boring isn't one of them. It can't be boring knowing that our days are full of moments designed by the God of all existence for us to share truth and be lights in the darkness. Now that may sound overwhelming, but what else did Jesus say in that? He said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with you and for you. This call to share your faith, to tell your story, to be the lights of the world, to engage with the world around us with eternity on our brains. That's a big ask. You're not alone in it. He is with you always. You have the same Holy Spirit in you. If you have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you have the same Holy Spirit in you that Paul and Barnabas had, that Jesus had, guiding you, talking to you, pointing you, encouraging you, rebuking you, teaching you, showing you, speaking, leading you, if you will listen. You are not ever alone, which means that when you are at work, God is near. And God is near to the co-worker who doesn't know Jesus because you are there and you're a Christian. And so God is nearer to that unbeliever that they could possibly ever know because you have a relationship with them. You're not alone in this because God is with you and for you. And on top of that, you have been given the gift of the church. We get to do this together. We get to learn how to grow together. So if you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and you are listening, I promise you're listening for a reason. So keep asking questions. Keep searching. Keep seeking. Continue to do those things, and God will show up. And brothers and sisters, those of you who have put your faith in Christ, continue. Do not give up or back down or let up or get lazy with your personal faith. Don't take a day off. Don't get comfortable. Continue asking questions. Continue pursuing God. Continue seeking after him. Continue trusting in him. Continue trying to grow in knowing him more and more, holding fast to that truth that you know. It's not always easy. This world can feel overwhelming at times. Continue, because you're not alone. Continue to trust and rely on him, and he will always continue to hold you up. Continue to shine your light in the darkness, because it's who you are made to be. We are on a mission. We have a purpose, and so we must continue. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to Scripture, and we want to hear from you, and we want to be at times encouraged and lifted up find wisdom and find guidance and, and just sometimes we come to you not even knowing why or what we need or what we're looking for but we know that there's safety there and we come this morning and we hear and we see and we, we read of Paul and Barnabas and they just kept on keeping on they just kept continuing God we're not getting run from town to town we're not getting chased by angry mobs We are living in a world that is so noisy and so distracting and so angry and so tired and so hard to live in at times. 
God, help us to continue. Help us to keep pressing on and pressing into you. Paul and Barnabas couldn't continue without you. We can't continue without you. Help us to continue to lean into you, to abide, to rest, to stand put, to all of those phrases we read throughout the New Testament. It's hard to do it at times, but God, help us to continue. Because we know there's a purpose. We know you have given us a purpose. You got us up this morning. You got you put air in our lungs. You opened our eyes. You have a reason for us to have today. You don't waste any time. Today's not just filler to get to tomorrow. Today has a purpose, an eternal purpose, each one of us. God, help us to live with that intentionality and that mindset all of the time. To not take for granted the conversations, the, the texts, the passing Facebook messages. That it's, there's so much more. There's so much happening around us all the time. You're always at work. You're always doing something. Help us to pay attention to that. Help us to see that and hear that. God, you have called us to be the lights of the world. That feels overwhelming at times. But you have done so and you have equipped us with the Holy Spirit. God, help us to lean into that Holy Spirit. Help us to trust and obey. Help us to be quiet enough to hear the Holy Spirit speaking and then bold enough to take steps when he tells us to move. God, some of us are really tired and just beaten up by the world. Help us to continue. Help us to press on. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of your goodness. Remind us of your love and intentionality. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and we thank you now for what you're going to do. You are good, and you're good all the time. And we thank you, and we praise you. Amen.